Hello again, this is Charlie Belfontaine, and you're listening to the Home Buyer's Hour on WCPT AM 820, where the facts matter. And we are a show that talks about real estate and, more importantly, home buying advocacy. So any questions you have about you or your home or home buying, please give us a call. Each week we do bring in one special real estate agent, somebody that we consider to be a, a home buyer's advocate. But before we go ahead and introduce her, I want to go ahead and introduce our attorney and here. His name is Patrick Loftus of Loftus Law Group. Pat, how do people get hold of you? And tell us a quick story about you. All right. It's actually not... Loftus Law Group, that would... Uh, did I say group? You did. I apologize for <laughs> that. I misspoke. It would suggest that it's not just me, and it is just me. Yeah. Um, Which I think makes you unique, quite frankly, and, and special, because when somebody dials your number, do they get anyone else? Uh, well, I do have an answering service, okay. so they might talk to my answering service. But if I if someone picks up and, and it's, uh, it's not the answering service, it would be me. Mm-hmm. Or if mm-hmm. you text me... Uh, I would also respond, uh, presuming it is during a normal time. Don't text me at 10 p.m. on a Saturday. Right. I don't like to practice law under the influence. I don't think it's <laughs> oh a good goodness. idea. <laughs> I love it. Um, if you do want to call or text me, by all means, the number is 773-632-8330. The next person to text me from this program will be the first, and you will have a special designation, and I will be really excited. we got to come up with that name for what that designation is, too, so that's going to be interesting. Let's keep it a surprise. (laughs) I agree. So Joey Matthews, he's our mortgage officer. He's not going to be with us today, so we're going to move right on to our guest. Our guest was actually born and raised in Scotland. She moved here to the United States when she was 15 years old. She started in the investment business, and then she made a transition somewhere around 2012 into the real estate business. Her name is Lynn Harvey. She works with Baird & Warner. Lynn, please tell us a little bit more about yourself and what makes you unique and about Baird & Warner and how do people get all of you? Sure. Um, well, I've been in the industry for 11 years. And um, as you mentioned, I kind of initially got into it just to be an investor myself, not really with the intent of selling real estate um, on the market. But here I am 11 years later. And um, I'm with Baird Warner. I've been with Baird Warner my entire career. I'm very happy there. And um, if people want to reach me, I'm at 248-830-9439. That is a Michigan number. I'm from Farmington Hills, went to high school there, and I've kept it. It's the same number I've had since high school. <laughs> well, that's all right. I live up on the North Shore. My cell phone is a 630 number, so yeah. I get it. It's a good conversation starter with people. It really is. So what, normally we like to get together and chit-chat a little bit and... You know, just after introducing you and listening just for a second, you your eyes lit up, and I, I could see her here in the studio. You guys can't. But when she said Baird and Warner, you could see that she was very proud. Her head stood up and everything else, and her body language showed she was very proud of Baird and Warner. What makes you so proud of Baird and Warner? I think for me, part of the reason why I joined the company is just the deep family roots. And I think when somebody puts their family name to a business. I mean, you're, you're putting your name out there. You're putting your family out and your and your your reputation on the line. And I think that really spoke to me when I was um, looking for that right place to um, start my real estate career and um, the long standing history that they have here in the city. Um, they're the reasons why we have um, fair housing laws. Um, Lyman Baird was the one who um, paved the way for that. Um, Baird and Warner and, and Steve Baird's the reason why we have Ravinia. They're why we have the 606. Oh, I and need this story on the Ravinia <laughs> stuff. That's my neck they, of the woods yeah, where I live. And yeah. I, and I love that place And up most there. people don't know that, but Baird and Warner were involved that. in the planning of Ravinia and the venue and the housing around it. And so for them, it's not just about selling real estate. They they're truly committed to their city and and um, and I, I think that's important that's a value of mine and and um, so I connected with it nice and the 606 trail and everything else that yeah. you said yeah that is that is neat and I I definitely if we have time I do want to talk more about the history of that because mm-hmm. I'm really curious on it but um, one, one of the things that we did talk about today, and usually one of my first questions is, what makes people unique? And you came up with some of, you know, I mean, you made me smile when you were talking about, you know, more so the education part. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. I want to find out more 
what makes you unique yeah, and I, successful? Um, unique? I mean, I think maybe just because I'm not, um, I'm not transactionally driven. It's just not who I am. Um, I just, I really want to love what I do every day. And when I get up, I want to have fun doing it. I want to feel good about doing it. And, you know, you hear all the horror stories with buyers and, you know, how horrible their experience is. And, and I think to be able to change that, to actually be able to take someone through the process and for them to be like, huh, that was that was all right. That that went well um, compared, and you know I feel good about that at the end of the day, and that's that's important to me. So I, you know, for me, uh, I'm really a strong believer in educating the consumer. Um, I don't want to be making decisions for them. I want my clients to, you know go online and look at a property the way I would look at a property and go to an open house and ask the questions that I would ask, you know, if I went to a showing with them. And what so, are some of those questions? Um, what should be people be asking? Sure. I mean, and obviously here in Chicago, we have, um, we're condo centric, right? I mean, for the, for the majority. And so there comes a lot of complexities with um, associations and reserves and all those types of things. So educating my clients on, you know, how decks and bylaws work and how the rules and regs work and how do these buildings plan for roofs and masonry and, and lintel painting and all these things that they don't think about. Part um, of the general maintenance. Yeah, part of the general maintenance. I think because some people think, um, well, I'm just responsible for the walls in. I'm buying a condo and I, you know, therefore I don't have the um, responsibility. But at the end of the day, you're cutting the check and I don't want my clients to buy a property, move in, and then all of a sudden realize that they you know, are going to have a special assessment and, you know, do they understand what a special assessment is? And so all those types of things, um, you know, I want a client to ultimately be able to go to an open house without me and you know, ask the, all the questions and get informed. You bring up a good point. And, and sometimes I take things for granted. I assume, well, if I know what it means, then everybody knows what it means. But Patrick, if you don't mind, what is a special assessment? What does she mean by that? And how does that affect me as a homeowner? Oh God, don't make me talk about that. <laughs> Sorry. It may be boring to you, but somebody doesn't know. Right. <laughs> right. So um, when you live in a condominium, of course, uh, you're not the one who's shoveling the snow, usually, or mowing the lawn. Um, that's handled by the association. And uh, everyone has, you know, it, I think, gets this visceral uh, feeling when they hear about an association, but it's it's part of condo life. Um, now, the association develops a budget, uh, an annual budget, and that's uh, depending on what small percentage of that building you own as, as the unit owner, um, that determines your share of that budget. Now, a portion of that of that budget should be dedicated to reserves. A reserve is an account that is maintained by the association, not for the regular operating expenses, like I mentioned, uh, grass cutting, uh, shoveling snow, if you have a dormant, if you have a pool, all these things, insurance. Uh, the reserve, rather, is for capital improvements, meaning I got to replace a roof, I've got to do tuck pointing, whatever it is. Um, if something happens, Either uh, there is a replacement needed, let's say the roof costs $15,000 to replace. If the reserve account only has 10000 in it, then the money to replace that roof doesn't come from some magical place. It comes from the unit owners. In the I do form. like the small numbers you're using. <laughs> I know. I was by the way, the on the roofs, were you? <laughs> I was Good. like, I wish I could get a roof replaced for fifteen thousand. Yeah. <laughs> I don't what, think I could get my garage roof done for fifteen grand. I'm not sure. <laughs> and and that's we need right. his vendors. That's the that's what it is. Well, if my vendor is not charging enough, you, you, the first question you should you should ask is why. why? Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but that's why, of course. Uh, the, the team is is important, right? right. I, I'm not necessarily uh, expected to uh, have expertise in how much it would cost to mm -hmm. replace a roof. Uh, that's where I lean on my ins uh, professional inspector, mm -hmm. my capable professional real estate agent. Um, and so, okay, I got derailed. Special assessment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, that's all right. I do that to people. Yeah. The special assessment, That's that's where the association mm -hmm. gets the money. And so they figure out, okay, we're short. I'm going to use the small number again, 10,000. Yeah. And if you are a 33% owner in that building, then $3,333 is coming out of your pocket. Right. It's something that is, you should expect it to happen um, just as a matter of preparation. Uh, but 
there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of factors in terms of how much might it be, uh, what kind of building are we talking about? Um, but it's it's money that you might not have expected to pull out of your pocket that you're going to have to mm-hmm. find the money for. Mm-hmm. So it's it's something uh, amongst the yeah, thousands of things that needs to be taken into consideration before you yeah. sign your not name on the dotted line. Well, Lynn, you were talking about education and, and getting your clients and having them ask the questions mm-hmm. that you would ask. Um, I know there's operational costs for running a condo association, mm-hmm. and then uh, Patrick was ex- explaining the the reserves or the mm-hmm. you know coming in there. And I know there's reserve studies. What do you think is a, a proper amount or percentage you know that somebody yeah. should have in their reserves? before your clients are going to start getting nervous or you're going to get nervous for your clients? Yeah. There's a tough question. It, it, is, is. A, it is a tough <laughs> question. It is a tough and question. Because actually yeah. there is no rule of thumb as to what is considered adequate in reserves or operating expense you know, accounts. Um, from a lender perspective, they expect to see 10% of gross annual income in the reserves. Um, and if that's not there, you might run into an underwriting issue. Um, there, there is no clear cut, uh, you know, X, Y percent needs to be in, in reserves um, in an association because everyone's um, philosophy on how they want to run their association is going to be very different. I think what's important is if you go to a building and they say, oh, you know, you've got three unit building, a very standard building in Chicago. And, you know, maybe there's only $2,000 in reserves. And you say, well, why? Well, we just replaced the roof. Okay. Kind of makes sense. Um, Or maybe we just tuck pointed and we just cut a big check for tuck pointing and and such. So you could, you can, um, I typically ask the questions of like what projects have been done in the past five years and what, you know, what projects are coming up in the next few years. So you can kind of determine if that's, going to be adequate. I mean, there's, there's no, like I said, no set rule. But, you know, if I went to a, 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 a showing with a client and the realtor said, oh, there's 2,000 in reserves. And by the way, we're probably going to, the, the roof's 20 years old and and we don't really tuck point on a regular basis. And, you know, I'm probably... That's a lot of money. I'm probably bringing that to my client's attention yeah. um, because in that situation, then they are most likely going to be faced with ongoing special assessments to bring that building up to par. Um, and again, that's ultimately my client's decision if they feel comfortable doing that. But I just have to let them know the pros and the cons of associations that run slim like that. Yeah. Right. And, and just to, to kind of add on, when when I'm looking at it from the lawyer's perspective, um, there's a few there's a few factors that I take into consideration in terms of advising the client. Mm-hmm. First is, uh, I think, as you alluded to, the size of the building. Um, 150 unit building is going to be handled differently than the three unit building. Good point. With 150 unit building, uh, I, I want to see that they're following best practices, standard practices. Mm-hmm. So um, one great thing is if they have a, res- uh, a reserve study is you can see where are they mm-hmm. in terms of the reserve study. The reserve study will es- essentially tell you how much they should have in reserve. and you can compare that to mm-hmm. how much they have in reserve. Right, and, right, right. And, and that's a good way to figure out whether uh, they can be expected to, to, to have a, a special assessment upcoming. Um, notwithstanding, sometimes things happen unexpectedly. Uh, I know my own personal experience in my building, uh, they discovered a building defect that uh, I'm just going to ballpark it, uh, cost the association ballpark, $3 million uh, to, to rectify. Um, it was no fun. We did not have $3 million uh, budgeted. It's a lot of money. We divided by how many people? We have 184 units. 180, okay. Well, that, that makes it a lot easier, but it's still, still a lot of money. Much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, I, I don't have $3 million and I, I don't have my, I didn't have my percentage of, of the $3 million either at yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, you know, we financed it, so that, that was mm-hmm. fine. But, um, that can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you don't budget for the dis- you know, discovering a construction defect right. that no one knew about. Um, so, you know, that's, I guess, part of the, the, the dice roll, if, mm-hmm. if you will. Uh, on the other hand, uh, like a three-unit a three unit building, as you were uh, referencing, that's a little bit of a different animal because if you've got three unit owners, you may, instead of fully funding a reserve, you may not want to have 40K in a reserve account mm-hmm. of these of these three unit owners' uh, money that's just sitting there 
doing nothing, mm-hmm. um, you might instead say, look, we're going to charge a low monthly assessment with the notion that when it's time to replace a roof, when it's time to do tuck pointing, whatever it is, we're all going to stick our hands in our, po- hands in our pockets. Mm-hmm. We'll keep that money uh, we'll keep the we'll keep our our own money so that we can do what we need to do with it, invest it, whatever it is. Um, at the end I of the day, that, that it, makes sense. Yeah, and at the yeah. end of the day, it's the education of the client, yeah. letting them know that this is what you can reasonably expect. This is why this is this way. Mm-hmm. Then they can make an informed decision. They might say, "Man, I am really bad with money. I can't." have it where you know at some point i might have to write a check for 8k um and so you'd you'd say to that person well this this may not be the one for you or let's see if we can uh make that part of the negotiation with the seller um or they might say you know i really like the idea that i'm only going to pay 150 dollars a month assessment i will save myself uh and you know make you know, wise is, but safe investments with option. that money. Yeah, it's not yeah. a bad option. Forced savings is not a bad yeah. thing. It's not a bad thing to, but no. to Patrick's point, you have to advise the client that, and let them make their decision, right? And let the yeah advise them of the possibilities. And you know, I always say to my clients, just put a little money aside in your own savings account, in your own bank account for a rainy day. It's going to rain. I mean, so don't be don't be caught off guard with it. But what I do like about the lower assessment buildings is that you know the buying power of that buyer goes up significantly when you're not spending seven hundred dollars a month on assessments for a one bedroom just because you know it's got a pool or a dorm and such. Yeah, yeah. I was I was just out of curiosity looking at listings in a particular building that mm-hmm. I really like, and mm-hmm. I was like, million mm, dollars? Could I afford that someday?" And I was thinking, well, you know, trying to do the math, figuring out what mm-hmm. I can chop out of the budget, and then I looked at the assessment is twelve hundred dollars a month, and I go, "If I had a million dollars to buy a house, I wouldn't buy one with that, mm-hmm. another twelve hundred dollar payment on top yeah. of it." <laughs> and I and I honestly tell my clients, you know. Assessments never go down. There's actually one unique case um, in 2019, actually, uh, where a Gold Coast building voted to reduce their assessments. And that was the first time that had ever really significant and and such a large scale had happened because they only ever go up. And I try to advise my clients that because um, it's just money out the door. And there's going to be some sort of colder cost of living you know, raise it's going to have to go into the building as well, right. you know, and as long as you think of the building as a pe- person, mm-hmm. I guess, or an entity, mm-hmm. you know, then that's going to come in there. Yeah. We did have a conversation. I shared a story with, you know, that happened to me yesterday about I had a past client call me back. They were buying a condo up in Evanston. They were looking for something that they could live in for six months and that they could rent out short-term rental for six months. And, you know, the the real estate agent just, and I should be more clear, the buyer's agent or selling agent, they went ahead and just got the condo documents or they just asked for the condo documents and they were given something from 2012 without any amendments on it. So when they reviewed the documents, it said that, well, it did not exclude short-term rentals. But after they put the earnest money, signed a contract, hired the home inspector, flew in from Houston to go ahead and attend the home inspection, see everything, invested all this money they find out you know a few weeks later that they did have an an amendment or is it an addendum i think it's an addendum amendment amendment thank you for correcting me they did have an amendment that said that short-term rentals are no longer allowed in the building and and lynn i'm i'm aiming this question at you how how would you approach not now but then how would you approach this if you're going into a buying a house or property and your mm-hmm. client wants short-term rental to be part of it, how do you find out for sure for our client to save them that horrible roller coaster ride? Sure. Um, you know, obviously it takes a lot of due diligence up front um, to get that kind of information. It takes a lot of knowledge up front oh, to have to, to be able to do the yeah. due diligence. That's the kicker and so that's what I'm me, trying to dig. Yeah, so for me, my first red flag is somebody wanted to buy in a condo building with an Airbnb, to be perfectly honest with, with you. With what? If somebody wants to buy in a condo building and wants to be able to Airbnb it, that's oh. really my first conversation with the client because the majority of the time that's not happening. Yeah, there's uh, only, to my knowledge, there's only a few in yeah. Chicago that are known to be 
you know, let's say uh, short-term rental friendly. Correct. And you can actually go on. There's a registry. Uh, the city does carry a registry where you can go on. And you can pull an address and find out if that building is not allowing Airbnb. I always say to my clients, more often than not in a condo building, you will not be allowed to do short-term rental. I will always ask. And, you know, asking the listing agent for condo docs is one step. And something that specific where it's really, you know, the deal is really hinging on whether or not this this buyer can use the property the way they intend. You know, I'd probably take a step further and, and call the management company if there is a property manager um, managing that property and hear it straight from the horse's mouth. Um, if there is no property manager, you can actually go on to the recorder of deeds because anytime that they change uh, and implement bylaws or make amendments, they do need to be recorded. Uh, so just by pulling the pin on the uh, condo, you should be able to see those documents. I mean, granted, in recent years with the pandemic, there's some delay in recording of documents, but for the most part, you should be able to get that information pretty readily. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You were going to yeah. add that? Um, you, you look, I have a couple things to say about this. Number one is the point of due diligence is to, for, you know, for one, determine if there are any deal breakers. And so the fact that he spent some money in connection with the due diligence if it reveals something that is a deal breaker, yeah. then that was money well spent. First of all, Agreed. you know, when I when I get a client who goes, well, I spent three hundred dollars on an inspection. I really don't want to walk away from it. Whoa, whoa. Up, up that up that price. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. Back yeah, three hundred. <laughs> Here's what you. Dis- well. Who do you refer? <laughs> Discount inspection <laughs> services. I know it's not us. Oh I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. I I we pay I'm our loving guys your pricing, Patrick. That. I yeah. mean, that's uh, 1990s I, pricing right there. I, I live in a pre-inflation world, I guess. <laughs> You're um, awesome. Take right. us back, please. I take apologize us with you. for interrupting <laughs> so, you right there. I'm sorry. My, my client comes to me and says, "I've spent five thousand dollars on the inspection there you go you now know, you're I, talking i'm already I'm, I'm already you yeah. know in the hole that much and and i really i want to mm-hmm. move forward even though the inspection re- revealed some deal breakers for me i said look that's you've you've made an investment in something mm-hmm. that is going to save you instead of spending that five thousand dollars it's 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 essentially saved you from spending thirty thousand dollars so the choice is uh cut cut your loss at 5k or continue down the path and experience a loss of 35k, which is the better option. Mm-hmm. So, so that's number one. So you, you you bought a plane ticket from Houston, you paid an inspector, um, you know whatever it was, you you spent that money for a reason, and and it's it's not always going to pan out. There mm-hmm. are sometimes due diligence mm-hmm. is going to is in that mm-hmm. process you're going to discover something that is mm-hmm. whoops can't do it now. Uh, you know, let me interrupt you real quick. I want to continue this conversation, and I'm going to give the floor back to you in that, but we're, we're 20 minutes in, and I do want to go ahead and get our information out there. Patrick, how do people get hold of you? You know, if you're going to interrupt me... I am going to interrupt you. I'm sorry. If you're going to interrupt me to give out the information that I'm essentially here to give out, then <laughs> all right, I can live with that. Email me, patrick at loftus.law. Keep it simple. I like that. <laughs> Joey Matthews of the Federal Savings Bank. Uh, his phone number is 630-235-2405. Lynn, how do they get hold of you, please? Um, they can certainly call me, 248-830-9439, or uh, lynnharvey.bairdwarner.com, and all my information's right there. Terrific. And I own Chicagoland Home Inspectors. My name is Charlie Belfontaine. Our website is www.thehomeinspectors, that's plural, O-R-S, and it's a .com. And our phone number is 312-544-9180. And Patrick, you were talking about due diligence before I interrupted you. Please sure. continue. And so, then Lynn, I'm coming to you on the same subject, all right? Now, you know, so it, it ultimately falls upon the buyer to do the necessary due diligence. Now that said, if the buyer hires the right people, that due diligence may not end up being quite so expensive. So the mm-hmm. higher Lynn, Lynn is going to go and find out before they even get under contract whether or not there are potential issues with Airbnb. And, and this is what I want to ask her and talk about. This is where we can, you know, and in fact, I'm going to switch it over to you right now, Lynn. There's good agents and there's great agents. and. And don't get me wrong, Patrick, I am not arguing with you, all right? I respect the fact that the due diligence and the money and everything else comes in for good warnings. But if we could save our clients that money, 
by getting them this information or pointing out some of those ideas mm-hmm. before they sign the contract, before they put earnest money down, before they, I mean, in fact, if I remember right, this attorney didn't even get paid on that transaction because it didn't go to closing, you know, when it happened. So, Lynn, I, I want to aim it at you a little bit. What can you do, you know, or how do you feel about what I mentioned, you know, happened to my client, and what can you do to prepare, you know, protect them, prepare? Sure. I mean, of course, you can't you can't account for every single thing. No, but um, we can try. But we can certainly try. And, you know, I have done. I do most of my due diligence. I there's some there's some agents who believe that find the house, put it under contract, attorney review period is to deal with due diligence, and that's fine. Um, but that's not how I like to operate. My fall through rate on deals is extremely low. Um, because I asked the questions about the association up front. That's um, something that actually should be tracked, all right? They'll track the number of units you move. They'll track, you know, how much is sold. Correct. But how many deals get canceled? Yeah, I correct. think that's something that should be tracked. And, 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 and actually, again, when I look at mine, the ones that are canceled are the ones I've told my clients that this is probably not the right place. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I like to, I will run a, a, a building's um financing and and if there's lawsuits in the building not every lawsuit's a deal breaker right i mean um just because an association has a lawsuit it can be something petty like you know awnings outside and hmm. you know things like that i could tell you a couple stories oh, i could this. tell you plenty <laughs> plenty stories um but the reality is um asking all the knowing the questions to ask and asking the right questions um and considering continuing to pursue things before you let a client make an offer um and then being able to maybe run the finances by the lender sending it through automated underwriting making sure that the building would clear you know all the barriers um ahead of time and collecting conducts i'm actually surprised by the number of listing agents who do not already have Condo docs. They most, that they shocks me. They well, mostly can't don't. Can't you put that on the MLS? Is there a way to hide that so that only other brokers could see it, or am I mistaken? I mean, they don't even need to post the documents on the MLS. I mean, it's it's it's, it's literally as simple as re- referencing reserves, upcoming projects, recent projects, rental caps. If there's a rental cap, what is the percentage? Are the restrictions? You know, there's. It's it's not hard. It's just effort. Yeah, Why do it's you guys not. Think? Th- there's. Uh, I mean, it, it, I would say that most uh, associations, at least of, of any size, um, it, they'll use Homewise, which I I could go on a rant about those folks. Uh, I like so. Homewise. I use it a lot. I'm sorry. Uh, we'll, really, both of you. We'll, huh? ta- we'll talk later. We yeah. do need to talk. You <laughs> know, that, other, I use that quite a, a bit. Show. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got yeah. beef. I got mm-hmm. beef. Oh, um, I want to hear. Yeah, but uh, if there's an upfront cost associated, right? I don't, I don't think most listing agents are prepared to, um, to, to front their client 400 bucks for the uh, condo docs and disclosures. Um, they'd rather uh, leave it up to, um, you know, after, after the, the, uh, mm-hmm. they're under contract. Um, so that would be one way, and quite frankly, uh, I think would be recommended in terms of um, you know get this information out there as quickly as possible. I mean, the the time um, that that goes by after you get under contract and you finally get these condo docs, mm-hmm. if something is discovered at that point, if, that's the only thing you can't get back is the time. You can get the earnest money back. You can get um, well, you can't get the inspection uh, money back. Because uh, yeah. they've already done it, they yeah. did the work. They should get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, but but again, I guess that's another uh, another factor mm-hmm. in favor of getting those documents sooner than later. Because just mm-hmm. dis- discover that thing as quickly as possible. That way, you, you're not uh, feeling sore about a drop of money right. on an inspection or, or, or whatnot. Yeah. Um, if it's a smaller building, they they may not use HomeWise. I mean. It'll be a little bit more of a chore to get your your client to to dig all that stuff up, but but you know get it done. And, um, and, to, and to be honest with you, and it always comes back to this, I think, when you educate your seller as to why it's important to have that information and how it will help speed up their attorney review process, which ultimately allows them to collect their balance of earnest money and ultimately allow the, the buyer to get underwritten and they're clear to close. You know, when you when you educate your seller as to why it's important, then they should not even think twice about spending $400 on condo documents because they're like, oh, you're right. I need to make sure I have this information because 
as a listing agent, I need to be able to understand the building and what kind of standing it's in and understand the buyer from their pre-approval and all that. And is this a good match? And what are the odds of this getting to closing? Yeah, you're going to spend that money one way or the other. One way or the other. If you're selling a condo, either I'm ordering those, well, I'm almost always ordering those Mm -hmm. condo docs myself. Uh, and when you say I, you're, are you talking about I as the attorney or are you talking about I as the seller? I as the lawyer. Mm-hmm. I as the lawyer for the seller or for the buyer or for both? For the seller. Mm-hmm. For the seller. Yeah. I, okay. I would rarely do that on behalf of the buyer. Um, I, yeah, I can think of some situations where I might end up doing that. But yeah. by and large, uh, it would yeah. be something, I, a, a cost mm-hmm. that I would incur on behalf of the seller that I would get reimbursed mm-hmm. uh, at the closing or, you know, if for some reason it falls through, but almost always at the closing. Yeah. Um, I collect them up front when I do a listing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's you're the first person I, I've heard that is actually willing to take that step. And I really think, you know, and I'm not just trying to blow smoke here. I, I think that's, I, I think that's, uh, I think it's really great. Yeah. I mean, it, well, I think it's my job. It's music, it's music to my <laughs> I, ears. I think it's my job for yeah. my seller to do that. Um, they don't know what they're, you know, they don't understand the importance. My job is to teach them and show them, you know, and get their, their home sold. Yeah. And also eliminate possible roadblocks, especially right. the common ones that are going to be happening. If we know that this is going to be an issue, mm-hmm. let's be transparent yeah. about it. Get it out there. And, mm-hmm. and this way we're saving mm-hmm. everybody a bunch mm-hmm. of time and energy and money. Are, mm-hmm. Am I wrong in yeah. that statement? I, yeah, absolutely. I had a situation, it was years ago, um, where I asked for condo docs. And, and this agent's actually an excellent agent, really like this agent a lot. Um, and long story short, uh, we get the 22.1 document. and uh, What is that? I, that is a disclosure statement that okay. the associations, Patrick can dig into yeah. that. But, no, uh, I've seen know, the disclosure forms. I never knew the number yeah, associated. Yeah, that's called a 22.1. And it turned out that one entity owns 70% of the building. It was Uh-oh. unwarrantable, meaning my client's financing was not going to get approved. Now, not only is then my buyer paid for an inspection and, and whatever, and their their loan application Probably fee an and appraisal. such, but this listing agent had paid for staging. Wonderful staging. She had painted the house. She had staged oh, wow. the house. She had done open houses and everything. And it was great. And I'm like, you just spent all that money. And, and now she's going to go back on the market. you didn't know that you couldn't sell that to a, a conforming loan has to be a cash has buyer to be a basically cash buyer. oh man and she was on you know and this was pre-pandemic when it was taking you know in some areas taking a little longer to, to sell properties what a waste that is a conversation in its own i wouldn't mind touching on it a little mm. bit i mean if you're listing a property you know first of all you don't get a down payment from a seller right do you take any money in your pocket when you list a property no. and I, I knew the answer to that so <laughs> forgive me for being a if it sounded a little snarky at no, all no but but you're investing your own personal money too, Correct. right? Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you invest in? Uh, I mean, you photography, in, right? Yeah, photography. Because um, that's important, isn't that? You got to get a good picture nowadays. Yeah, it's, it's your first yeah. impression. I mean, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've seen a lot I mean, of iPhone are, pictures are making, on there too. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, people are making their decision about whether to see a house based on photographs. And if they're not good, that you will be skimmed by. Um, but yeah, I pay for high def photos, videography, 3D tours, floor plans, staging and organization if I need it. Um, I pay for a lot of things up front. I mean, we don't get paid if we don't close the deals. So no, and even more is is the time invested because it is, it's the time. I mean that's the one thing you cannot get more of. That's right. That's right. That's really interesting, mm-hmm. and that's a big risk that. I don't think a lot of people take into consideration. What about on the buyer's end, though? Are you investing any, I know there's time and showing and things like that, but is there any other financial investments that you have to make with the buyer? Um, not so much. Maybe parking tickets because you're doing showing, <laughs> but uh, that's maybe about it. <laughs> I don't know if we should edit that out or not. Do we just incriminate ourselves? I love it. No, I pay them. You know, <laughs> do you? So then oh, it's sure. all good. Oh, I yeah. admit fault. I just take my odds on whether or not I get one. Yeah, you better pay one. You, you come out of showing a house, you got a boot on a your boot car. On my car. Oh, yeah. man, that is not, that's not yeah. a good look. Yeah. <laughs> we actually had an agent on the show that does not own a car. Yeah. Can you believe that? I, I do. was. And he loves the idea because he, he ends up talking with his clients in the back seat of the Uber, um, going from place to place and building his relationship. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, all that stuff goes yeah. in there. I'd like to go back to a little bit about 
three different things, and I think this has to do with your sponsoring broker, and I'm going to need your help on it, all right? So you, you mentioned three services. One is called Contract Care. Another one is called Listing Launch. And then the balance program. Mm -hmm. Pick one of those. Tell me who does it and tell me a little bit about those. Sure. Well, those are all things that Baird and Warner offer. And Baird and Warner is a sponsoring broker. It's a sponsoring broker. Okay. Baird and Warner is my sponsoring broker. And they offer to their agents uh, three different platforms that they can use to help manage their transactions um, from contracting or signing that listing agreement to actually getting it on the market. Uh, the one that I most heavily use is Contract Care. So from when I get a property or buyer under contract, uh, I, I loop in my uh, transaction coordinator, Brenda, and Brenda is on on that transaction uh, the rest of the way. My clients get to know her. Uh, she is close with my attorney and, and you know, she get, typically knows the lenders and keeps everybody in the loop and helps to, you know, obviously we go out in appointments as agents and we're tied up on showings and, and different things. So having somebody who's constantly overlooking that file and making sure that we're hitting all our milestones, uh, that's basically what contract care do for us. So there's no need for me to have, you know, it's just me. I don't have an assistant. I don't have a team. Uh, I, I run everything myself. But um, having Brenda there to oversee things when I'm, you know, caught up for periods of time, I'm not worried about uh, getting documents to people time, in a timely fashion or responding in a timely way because uh, I know Brenda's watching over everything. I mean, that sounds like it really frees you up to be present with the client and, you know, you're not saying, hold up, I got I to gotta take this or, uh, you know, tapping away at emails all Correct. the time. I can imagine if I'm a client and my real estate broker mm -hmm. is constantly doing that, that's a big turnoff. Yeah. So yeah. I would, I would, uh, mm -hmm. I can appreciate how that's a really huge yeah. help. And there you. was definitely times, you know, you, some, you know, when you go out with buyers, you can be seeing six to eight properties. I'll be honest, anything more than six in a, in a given block of time is gets a bit blurry, not even just, you know, for the buyer, but also, you know, for us. And it's a, it's a long time to be away from your email. And there was a period of time when, you know, you'd be out on showings for a couple hours and think, oh my gosh, I'm going to get back to my <sighs> inbox and this is going to be ugly. Um, and I now I that. don't really, I don't worry about it um, because I know, uh, if anything, now when I'm opening my inbox, it's it's all these responses from Brenda and and, and I'm able to just sort of track along and, and see. And then it's nice because my buyers and my clients have somebody that they can contact if they can't get a hold of me. But, you know, I've never had a client say they can't get a hold of me. So That's... in a way you're over, you're overwatching everything. They're communicating all the different mm -hmm. steps. Mm -hmm. You see the check boxes are being checked mm -hmm. and the I and the crosses of the T's and all that. Correct. So that's all good. What about this listing launch? What is that? Yeah, listing launch is uh, sort of similar, but from the listing side, from the minute my sellers sign a listing agreement, um, I loop in Maddie and Maddie's working with me to prepare the MLS draft, organize photos, schedule all that type of stuff, collect condo documents, make sure the disclosures are all completely filled out I like correctly. how you're going back to the important stuff earlier. That's good. Reaffirm it. That's yeah, important just, stuff. It's, it's getting all this, you know, she's helping me do all those things um, and coordinate all of that. And so she works with me all the way to getting the property up and onto the MLS and then um, and then doing the initial marketing of it. But she's, she's there making sure that all these documents are filled out correctly. I like that. And that's just for the list only. That's just for the listing side. And yeah, I mean, that's... Oh, go ahead. Pam. That's, uh, you know, preparation, it can take a lot of different forms, right? Yeah. Um, you could take a listing, enter the information onto the MLS, and say, well, it's out there in yeah, the world. That's right. That is one type of preparation. But what you mm -hmm. just described is several levels above that, mm -hmm. which I think a client would really appreciate mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. they understood how much yeah. how much more they're getting out of yeah. out of that situation. And for me, you know, when I'm when I actually go to the photo shoots for the properties, what you know, my photographer's doing his thing and we've worked together for years, so I you know, I, I don't feel like I need to hover around him and watch what he's doing. I'm typically going around the house and looking at the age of the furnace, the age of the condenser, the age of the appliances. Get out of here. Come know, on. I'm, I'm finding the water I'm shut off. I'm going to pull the baloney flag no. out on that one. You're, no, I'll show you you're a spec You're telling sheet. me that mm -hmm. you know how to figure out age of air conditioners sure. and furnaces. Sure, sure. Right Everybody right? should be. It's right there on the furnace. And there's I ways to do it. I think you are now my favorite real estate agent. <laughs> and if you think I say that to everybody that walks in this studio, it you're 100% right. It I does. do. But today, it's you. I actually teach my clients how to find it. You know, I've been starting, 
I've been starting this one minute broker tips on Facebook and mm. YouTube. And those, you know, how to de how to decode the mm -hmm. furnaces, how to decode the mm -hmm. air conditioning, and all the common stuff that somebody can see and identify that might end up being a deal killer. And instead of me sending one of my guys in there to be the bad guys, That's right. I'd rather you catch that during the showing because mm -hmm. guess what? There's no emotions yet. Mm-hmm. And once you guys sign that paper and once that whole process begins, now there's money, there's a lot of emotions that are happening in sure. here. You know, Charlie, you and I should set our own real estate brokerage and then we will require all of all of the brokers <laughs> under us to know all this stuff and we are just gonna mop the floor, right? Well here's the hard question <laughs> then. You know, why don't we see more pre listing? In California, it's like ninety nine percent of the time any transaction is gonna have a pre-listing inspection with the inspection report tied to the property. Why do you guys, both of you this is for, why do you guys think that we don't do that here? Hmm. That's a good question. I had not considered it. There are, there are uh, a handful of municipalities around the area that do have Transfer. a, they have a point of sale inspection, a yeah. pre-listing point of sale inspection. So uh, Elmwood Park is one that comes to mind. So yeah. you literally need to get someone out. Now they're looking at it from a different perspective than you are as a, 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 an ins a, a building inspector. Um, I could only speculate as to why we do, we do things differently here than they do in California. One would be, We've always done it this way. Uh, oh, I hate this. Not, so not the greatest reason to do something, yeah. right? No, but it's a truthful um, one. You know, the other one uh, would be from the more cynical side of myself, which is that we don't want to force sellers to learn things about their property that they would then have to disclose. And it saddens me. Then they yeah. would feel bad about disclosing it, and um, you know, we take a much more uh, caveat emptor, buyer beware approach here yeah. in Illinois. Mm -hmm. What about you, Lynn? What do you see? I mean, I think partly maybe sellers just don't want to spend the money on an inspection for one. I mean, okay. you know, you're you, even you more cynical than I you am. Know, you put, you, yeah. you put, no, you that's, put, I could, that's a legitimate hey, reason. I could buy into that. You know, it's hard to get um, to get sellers sometimes even just to paint or, um, you know, stage. And these are things that will really change or take the dirty socks off the floor yeah right? like it, it can be hard it can be hard so then asking them to spend money on, on an inspection that might be you know harder um you know at least when i sit with my sellers and i'm meeting them and talking about getting the property one of my questions is is there anything in the house that's not working right or you've had a problem with that or it came up in the past you know let's walk around the house let's fix it and fix it or disclose it right yeah. i mean it's it's that simple fix it or disclose it it's whatever you want to do but it's taking the time to do that you know the uh, the other thing that comes to mind is that if i'm a buyer and the seller hands me an inspection from an mm -hmm. inspector they hired i'm still getting my own inspection Correct. because you I, don't, should. I don't trust that guy yeah. i would agree yeah. you should um, you know where it comes with mm -hmm. it yeah I, I wouldn't i wouldn't be consistent if i said well the buyer is responsible for their own due diligence and should take everything that the seller says in context which is to say assume that they are telling you the bare minimum mm -hmm. if even that and then say well oh wow this seller mm -hmm. provided me with an inspection report i'll just take that at face value mm -hmm. and not hire my own I, who's the seller going to hire they ain't hiring you mm -hmm. they're hiring someone who is going to give them uh what they want you're um, listening to patrick loftus <laughs> patrick how do uh, and we are coming back to this. How did they get hold of you, Patrick? Yes, 773-632-8330. Call or text. Terrific. And Lynn Harvey of Baird & Warner, how did they get hold of you? Yeah, 248-830-9439. And you have a website, too? Yes, lynnharvey.bairdwarner.com. Nice. And, and I own Chicagoland Home Inspectors. And our phone number is 312 544 9180 and our website is www.thehomeinspectors.com and going back to again both of you I, I really love hearing all the this stuff especially when it, it comes to um, inspections and stuff obviously because it's my passion where, where it comes into stuff but it was explained to me that doing a pre-listing or home buying I guess because it is relationship you know the whole process is that when you, you want somebody to fall in love with the house, it's kind of like dating, it was explained to me. If, you know, are you going to put up there that you're bipolar and, 
you know, you, you're, you got all these medical problems and stuff like that. You're going to put that in your, I don't know, what is it now? It's been a profile. while. Is it Tinder? Or I thought it was like plenty of fish. I remember one like Jesus. that. But <laughs> am I dating myself? I don't know. It's going back. I'm on, I'm, I'm on round two. So, but well, I, I, listen, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to. Yeah, if I if if I say that I know a lot about this, I know that my wife is watching. Okay, <laughs> and my love, yeah, tu bien oublié. Oh, that's right. I think I know what that means. <laughs> you know, it's I love you in Russian. That's what I like to hear. So, but what about that, man? Do you think that's a, a rational reason that we don't want to go ahead and and put negatives out there? Um, for me, I'm just a transparency person. To be totally honest with you. Tell them now or they'll find out later. So let's just lay it on the table. Let's be transparent. That's, you know, for me, in building trust, I would feel better for my buyer to go on a showing for the agent to say, listen, just FYI, we know the furnace is old. We know that the window seal is broken in the primary and the jacuzzi tub does not work. And just tell me because that's that to me will create a smoother transaction so with my sellers I couldn't agree more you know I just tell them just tell me what's not working tell me where the deficiencies are let's problem solve is it something that we want to repair is it something we just want to disclose and lay it out there and then there's no surprises and um, that's just how the, the space I operate from yeah and, and I think you know, if if, if you this this may sound uh, this might this might put, paint myself in a bad light, but you can you can own the narrative then by saying you know the furnace is 25 years old, but and you mm-hmm. know if it's look we've uh, it's it's worked you know like, like a yeah. charm or what, however you want to yeah. you can position it that that way it's not number one a surprise uh, and then. From there, the buyer then assumes that you are hiding stuff from them. Right. Um, you know that transparency. You can take that from this is uh, a wart of the, that the property has to actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, sometimes you can actually you know make that a feature rather than a bug. Mm-hmm. That's right. And you know, I had a situation actually last you know this past year um, and. With the way the market was, we were seeing a lot of as-is transactions, right? right. Buyers, oh my God, buyers having to um, sort of cave in to these sellers' demands because they didn't really have any cards in their pocket. And in one of the situations, my client was totally fine with as-is, and we went back to the listing agent and just said, "Hey, just is there anything? Can we just can we just put this out on the table?" And she said, "Nope, there's nothing. Nope, my sellers aren't aware of anything now." If those sellers were not aware that their ice maker and water dispenser in the fridge was not working, <laughs> I find that very hard to believe. And it sounds silly, but it's the quickest way to sour a deal because it's not about the ice maker and the water dispenser. It's about lack of trust and Boom. transparency. So, yeah, that, you know, that trust is it's, is it's, tissue paper it thin. Is. And it, any small thing can absolutely sever it. It, it, it. Exactly. And so I tell my, just put it all out there because having that strong trust and that disclosure and transparency you have a smooth deal everyone's going to feel good about it and we'll get ultimately everybody to the finish line but something like that where it was so obvious that they must have known like you can't tell me that you didn't know that one of the burners on your stove wasn't working i just i just find that really hard to believe and so for my clients i'm like i don't care how small this item is lay it out there yeah and, you know, just last week we were talking about something that happened with a friend of mine. Uh, she bought a house down in Florida. And this this mm-hmm. time we had trust in the in the sellers of the home. But, you know, my friend lost trust in the real estate agent because when Hurricane Ian went through and this house was in Fort Myers, she wanted to know how's the house, how's everything in there. And they kept telling her everything's fine, everything's fine. And it's like, that's fine isn't really good. I need the, we need specifics. How much water got in there? Where did it get in? And so forth. And it wasn't until we were able to get a friend there because the real estate agent, yeah, yeah, I went there, everything looked fine. And they kept saying that. But we got somebody in there and then the owner said, yeah, we had an inch of water, came up to this far here. This is what we're doing for it. The hot tub got washed away. The dock got washed away. The owner was remarkable. But she canceled the deal because of loss of trust, all right, with the real estate agent. And I don't think it was a good financial decision. I love her dearly. You know, she's a very close friend, and, and I want her to be happy. But I, I, I just, to me, it's the value of trust. And, and you triggered me a little bit when you said that. And I don't mean in a bad way, 
but it, it just goes on how important that is. And I mean, how much time do you think you spend building trust with your clients? And I know you don't force it, right? You're trying to sure. be yourself and you're letting them know, hey, listen, I'm just going to be up front. I'm going to sure. be honest. I'm going to be me, mm-hmm. you know, and you're going to get to me because that's the only way. If I'm fake, you're not going to trust me. Sure. You know, I think now later in my career, it's it's um, it tends to come around easier because my business is majority referral um, and past clients and repeat clients. So I already have that deep rooted trust with them. And they are, if they're referring their friend, they're saying, you know, we use Lynn and, you know, we had a great experience and, and it's flattering, isn't it? It's really, it's really, it, it is. It mm-hmm. honestly, it's the, um, you know, you can get awards and all these different things, but a, a client referring you someone speaks for itself. It does. Yeah. It really does. Yeah, I would say honestly, in terms of you know building trust, you're never not in that position of building trust with somebody mm-hmm. because you you have uh, you, you have something that you're protecting them from. They are vulnerable, and you're the one who is in the way of that bad thing happening to them. And they're trusting us to protect them. And and if you're not mindful of the fact that 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 trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah is don't take it for granted. You cannot. Mm -hmm. And And too many of us do. As soon as you take it for granted, that's when you start to lose the plot. I I couldn't agree more on that stuff. And I don't know, we're we're coming up towards the the end of time. And I like to just get a a few more words of wisdom that come into play. So Lynn, one more time, please tell us about how they get hold of you. Uh, cell phone number 248-830-9439 and my website, lynnharvey.bearwarner.com. And if you can give a buyer one, one piece of advice in order to help them find, you know, a, a true home buying advocate for themselves, a real estate agent professional, what would be one of the, the most important things you would ask somebody? I know it's a hard question, sure. but I'm going to ask anyway. I would say interviewing multiple realtors. And what are they looking for, though? They are looking for experience, uh, home sold in the past 24 months, volume sold in the past 24 months, um, asking them, you know, about how they handle, um, you know, how how do they approach uh, financing conversation? What could they teach them about inspections? And uh, it's, it's, it's hard, but, you know, it's having an experienced agent who does probably north of 20 deals a year is you're hopefully in good hands at that point um, because it's it's no easy feat to do that many deals a year. No, and the bar for entry for real estate and home inspectors low. is low. I agree. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that answer, to be honest. Me too. And, and, and I want to throw the same question at you, Patrick. First of all, how do they get hold of you and how does somebody know that they have a good attorney? We have 30 seconds left. You're going to ask me that question. Sorry. <laughs> My number, 773-632-8330. Call or text. Uh, if you get a good feeling from the lawyer when you're talking to them, that's a really good first start. If they answer the phone when you call them, that's a really good first start. Uh, from there, um, well, we don't have enough time. Yeah. Till next well, time. We'll oh, another cliffhanger. Another week, cliffhanger. <laughs> All right, and again, I want to thank everybody for listening. Special thank yous go to Devin Tingle, our producer over here at WCPT AMA 20. I own Chicagoland Home Inspectors, 312-544-9180. Again, my name is Charlie, and we are out. Mm-hmm.